How many of y'all know that this is the, the season where we can get the reason all messed up? We can. It's the season we can get the reason all messed up. And the only reason we have this season is to celebrate the birth of our king. And uh, we get so wrapped up in the hustle and the bustle and the presence and the gifts that we can forget everything else. I know you're saying, well, you forgot the offering this morning, Pastor. No, I didn't. I didn't forget that, I promise. And uh, I just want to encourage you, keep giving strong through the end of the year. Uh, we're trying to do a refinance and do some other things as a church, and we really need to finish the year strong. You know, there's something about finishing your race strong. You, you watch the Olympics, you watch everything in life, and you watch, a, you watch these guys just running and running and running, and they run such a good race. But just right at the end, they get passed and they get beat. Because it's about finishing strong. And I want to encourage you, finish what you started this year. If you made some New Year's resolutions last year, and you said, oh, man, I blew those a long time ago, <laughs> Pastor. Start now. Don't wait for the new year. And, and do, some, do some new stuff. If you've never tithed, I challenge you, do that this year. Start today. I promise you cannot outgive God. I see blessings happen every day in my life. I promise you, there's nobody in the world that lives as good as my family lives on what I make. Because it's all God. I will actually tithe more this year off a blessing than off of what my income is from the church. Because of his goodness. I buy and sell and stuff all the time. And I do really well at it. Because God blesses everything that I touch because his word cannot come back void. In fact, Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25 says this. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. I used the scripture last week. I'm going to see if y'all catch on. The world of the, lar- of the generous, the world of the larger gets larger and larger. Amen on that one. <laughs> the world of the generous gets larger and larger. But the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. You want to know what that is? Because when you get wrapped up into being stingy, it's all about you. And your world eventually begins to evolve just around you. And, and, and you get in this place where your whole world collapses. You ever been around somebody that's claustrophobic? And you put them in an elevator? And it just seems like the whole world starts collapsing around. I mean, they get big-eyed and funny-looking. The whole world just collapses around them because they're scared of the environment that they put themselves in. Let's not put ourselves in that environment where we get stingier and, 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 and our world gets smaller and smaller. But it says, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. And those who help others are helped. Look, I'm your pastor. I'm going to show you how this works. You, you, you got a wallet and you say, well, I'm busy this season. I can't help out with Kids Harbor with the stock. I just, I don't have time to even run to Walmart, Pastor. Well, it's easy. You got this same color wallet, and there's these, these 20s in it and 1s. Does your money talk to you? You know, every once in a while, my money talks to me. My money talks to me every once in a while. You know, uh, you'll have a, a 100, and you'll have a 20, and you'll have a 10, and you'll have a dollar in your wallet, and the dollar always says, give me, give me. And 100 says, not me. Not me. Don't break me. Once you break me, I'm gone. Don't break me. And that's what happens in the season. There's 20, 40, 60, 80, 
a hundred, and you just you do that right there to Shelly, and you give that to her for Kids Harbor. And that's that's how that works. Look, that's my money. That's not the church's money I'm giving. I, I'm leading by an example here. That's how it works. Am I gonna miss that hundred dollars? Maybe. But you know what I just did? When when I take what I have that's my provision, and I I have that that hundred dollars I just gave her in my wallet, that hundred dollars I have a choice in my life. And and my choice is I can take that hundred dollars and I can spend it, and that provision becomes my blessing. I can buy a hamburger, I can go saltgrass. Now I'm talking. I I can do all kinds of stuff with that money. But when I choose to give that $100 to someone else, or I choose to put it and obey God and put it into the offering plate, when I do that, that becomes not my blessing, but my seed. And when I plant seed, I have a chance for it to come out a thousandfold. I have a chance for it to to blossom in my life and to bless me. And I just want to encourage you, help out with the stockings, Given the offering today, help this church finish strong because we need to finish strong. We're $50,000 in the red right now. We need to finish strong. Help us. I'm not asking you to give above and beyond your tithe and your, your normal offering, but just do what you can do. If you got a little extra this season, you know the wise men who were wise, when they found the king, they came to do a couple things. They came to worship and they came to give. And uh, giving is an extension of our worship. So I'm going to ask the guys to come take up the offering now. Let's pray over it as they come. Father, I just thank you for, this, this, for these tithes and these offerings, Father. I think this 10% is not ours anyway. It's yours. It belongs to you. And when we're faithful to your word, Father, you bless us. In fact, you bless us in ways we can't even contain it. I thank you for special blessings upon them this Christmas season, Father. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In your name we pray. Amen. Y'all mind I took a little time with that this morning? Okay. Well, God is good. We've been looking at, uh, looking at the wise men. That's our series right now we're in called Following the Star, A Christmas Journey. And uh, so... We're taking a little journey through the Word of God and and through history. And last week we talked about the wise men, how we can see them all the way back to when Abraham was fleeing out of Ur to the Chaldees. We can see the wise men actually in the book of Daniel. How many of y'all had ever heard that before, that the wise men were actually in the book of Daniel? They actually served in Nebuchadnezzar's court. And uh, it, it says all of the magicians, which we learned that word magi, and, and magician are the same exact word in the Greek and in the Hebrew. All the, all the magi, the astrologers, and the fortune tellers of the day were in Nebuchadnezzar's courts. And Daniel was serving with them. And when the king's dream couldn't be interpreted by the magi, couldn't be interpreted by the astrologers, couldn't be interpreted by no one else, there was a young man, a young Jewish man, who was being held there captive not under his free will, named Daniel. And Daniel, because of the Spirit of the Lord that was upon him, was able to interpret these dreams. And because of that, he was over all of the Magi. He actually spared their lives. And we talked about how when 
you know, when somebody saves your life, you feel like you owe them. You you wanna you wanna help them and you want they become your friend, you know. I don't know about you, but when somebody's saving my life on a pretty uh, constant basis and keeping my head from getting chopped off, they my friend. And uh <laughs> And so these guys were friends with Daniel, and I'm sure Daniel shared the prophecies of a soon-coming king with them, and they went, they went back to their homeland and, and probably shared these stories and wrote it down because they were the most educated men of the day. They were the wise men. They were the magi. And, and they, they, they go home, and they tell these stories, and then we see that all of a sudden a star arises, and we'll take up our text there in Matthew 2, 1 through 12. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? And so we're asking this question, how did they know that he was the newborn king of the Jews? How do we know these things? He said, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to what? Worship him. And King Herod, we said, was deeply disturbed. He was agitated, kind of like your washing machine you wash your clothes with. He was shaking a little bit when he heard this. As was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? So Herod's thinking to himself, if this is true, remind me, refresh me, what does the prophecy say? Where where is this Messiah that's supposed to be born? They said, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come for you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. You realize the, the wise men and the shepherds are two, two different entities. The shepherds were actually the first people on the scene when Jesus was born. The angel appeared to them and said, do not be affrighted. And the shepherds ran and they, they found where Jesus was and they're actually at the manger. They're, they're right there when the Messiah has just been born. And the shepherds are the first guys on the scene. Isn't it ironic that the word of God says, let's look at it again who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Isn't it funny that the shepherd for the people of Israel that has been born, the first guys on the scene are shepherds? They've come to say, this is he that is born, the shepherd of the people of Israel. We are shepherds, we are here. And let me tell you, shepherds were not these glorious people of the day. They they were looked down upon. They, They were... They, they were the guys who hung out in the fields with the sheep. They slept with their sheep. They hung out with their sheep. They were out there in the weather, in the cold. They're out there with the, when When a baby sheep's born, they're there with it. And, and they're traveling with it. And, and they show up to the manger. And we, we make this hallmark scene of what Christmas looks like. And it's pretty and it's beautiful. And there's Mary with the, with the baby Jesus in swaddling clothes. And, and everything's just pretty. And there's a star shining. And we see the cute little animals that they portray in the scene. I mean, no, animals aren't cute. 
They really are. I love animals. They're delicious, but they're not cute. And, and, and you know, the baby animals are cute, but they grow up and, and they stink. And Jesus' first breath in the manger, his first intake of this world is manure. Because he's called to be a shepherd for all people. He's come for you and I. There's something different about this man that's born. In fact, the wise men go to the city where a king should be born and says, where's he born king of the Jews? They follow the star all this way, and they get sidetracked, and they say, well, he's the king. He's being born the king. We're going to the city. We're going to the big city where the king would be born. That's not where he's at. He came and was born in the lowliest of places. No matter where you're at today, whether it's a a low place that smells like he's there for you, waiting. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. It's very important information here. Herod said, when did the star first appear? Because, see, the wise men didn't show up when Jesus was in the manger. It actually says they went into a house. They said the baby would have been 12 to 24 months old when the wise men found him. And so they, they, they show up at the house. But Herod, before they get to the house, wants to know, when did this star show up? Because, see, Herod has evil intent in his heart. Evil intent. He wants to know what age children does he need to be looking for. That's why he killed all the children two years of and younger in the day. When he learned the time the star first appeared, he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, It went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So we ask our questions, who are these Magi, who are these wise men? And and we covered that last week, so I'm not going to go back totally into that. And, And why are they seeking him? And my question for this whole series is, what are you seeking this Christmas season? Because what it is we seek is where we find our joy. For you, if you seek gifts, your joy is in gifts. If you seek family, your joy will be found in family. If you Seek him, your joy will be fulfilled in every area. So what are you seeking this Christmas season? Matthew 6, 32 through 33 says, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We have to seek the right things. 
He says when we seek the right thing, the only thing we should really be, be focused on in our lives, which is Jesus, all these other things come to us. But it's about what we seek during this Christmas season. Where do you look? The wise men looked where they thought a king should be born. We look for Christmas in all the wrong places sometimes. We, we, we look for, for Christmas in gifts. We look for Christmas in, in people. We look for Christmas everywhere in all the things that will let us down in life. It's just like, why wasn't our projector working today? Little $30 box. That little gift, that little box will let you down. Let me down this morning. Those little gifts you asked for, I'll let you. I'll never forget. I was a little boy. It was Christmas time, and all I wanted was this remote control car. It was the newest. It was the baddest. It was the greatest. It was the grandest, and I got it. And I was so excited. And I charge it up, and I take it outside, and it runs for like ten minutes, and it's dead. I'm like, what the heck? It only lasted ten minutes. My joy lasted ten minutes. And then I had to recharge to get some more joy for four or five hours. Ten minutes, five hours. Something's messed up with this picture. Kids, y'all don't know what it's like. Y'all got lithium ion. I had, I had, I had Duracell D and C and double A. There wasn't no, one just pop in, recharge ten minutes, there we go again. There weren't these batteries that lasted for an hour at a time. It was, it was five minutes, and, and you know, now, you know, lithium-ion batteries, when it dies, it just dies. But my car got really slow for a long time, and then it, it, it died. And, and so then I charge it back up, and I run around the yard again, and everything's going good, and it's going around the track. And I, I'd made, and I'm jumping jumps, and I hit a puddle. And my joy was completely gone. There was no recharging it. There was no saving it. It was dead. <clears throat> because I put my joy in seeking in the wrong thing. So many times we do that with our life. We wonder why we're not happy. It's because we put these false pretenses up of what actually makes us happy. And where we get our fulfillment and where our joy comes from. My joy comes from the Lord like David. I just, I know what brings me joy. We know the wise men brought gifts. Why did they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Why didn't they bring a rattle? <clears throat> Jesus might have been happier with a binky and a rattle. You know what a binky is? It's a pacifier. That's what my kids called it, a binky. And Kobe had a big old binky. I had to say that's embarrassing this morning. But I wish he still had it sometimes, or he wouldn't talk back. Um. <laughs> why did they bring gold? Because it was the reward for a king. That's why they brought gold. They came to ordain him as king. Why did they bring frankincense? It was incense, a symbol of deity. They came to worship him. That's what we're covering today. They came to worship him. Myrrh, embalming oil, symbol of death. They came to recognize him as a spotless, perfect lamb. That's why the shepherds came to inspect the lamb that was born. They were always there when the lambs were born. 
They came, the wise men came, and they brought myrrh, a symbol that this king that was born would die a senseless death for you and for me. They followed the star to worship him. They seeked him out to worship him. They traveled to worship him. Worship, point number one, you can write this down today. Worship takes action. Verse 2, it says, Where is born the king of the Jews so that we may worship him? We have came to worship him. They had predestined in their hearts before they got there. They're still with Herod, still in the city, before they even get to Jesus. When they're loading the camels or they're loading the horses, however they came, whatever they're doing, they had predestined in their hearts, we're going to worship a king. And not only are we going to worship, we've got offerings. We've got, we've got gifts. We've got gold. We've got all the things that we should bring to anoint and say that he is king. They predestined it in their hearts. The problem is we expect we want to stay just where we are and worship. We don't want to get out of our comfort zone. We don't want to have to travel. We don't want to have to go nowhere. We just want to be able to worship. The action action is all that brings upon worship. It takes action to worship. These guys traveled Can you imagine? In fact, it said they traveled 800 miles is what history tells us, around 800 miles. I don't care if it's a camel, a donkey, or a steed. After five minutes, it's no longer fun to ride. I'm serious. I've cowboyed up. I've rode the horses. My dad's got cows. And let me tell you what. Let me tell you what, cow, what, what riding a horse or riding a camel or riding any of these things bring. It's hard for it to bring joy. It brings chapped legs, chapped other things. It, it is not fun. It brings, it brings back pain. It brings soreness. It brings all of these things. Next point is it costs you something to worship. They had to leave their families where they were. They had to leave their comforts of home to seek him out and to find him. They looked in the wrong place. Sometimes we look in the wrong place. Sometimes we say, well, I can just stay home today and worship him. There's something about coming into the house of God. There's something about getting your car and saying, I'm traveling to go see my king today. There's something that happens when people in unity begin to worship. There's something that happens. In in fact, in Acts 2.1 it says, all the believers were meeting in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a mighty roaring windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. you imagine our churches today, what that would look like? That, that gasp, that, that mighty rushing wind, that gasp might have been said, 
whoo, look who's at church today. Because we don't get in our cars to seek him no more. We've raised the culture and the society of where the lake looks funner today. The alarm clock's going off. It's raining. I don't need church today. Now, I'm not trying to condemn nobody. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying there's something about seeking him. People say all the time, well, I just, I don't feel God right now, Pastor. I don't, I don't feel things happening in my life. Are you truly seeking him? What does it cost you? What action have you taken to find him? Eight hundred miles. Hallmark would say there were camels. History would tell us there were probably Persian steeds. Either way, eight hundred miles through weather, through dirt, through dust, through sand. Anybody a soldier been to the Middle East? It's no fun to travel in the Middle East in the middle of a tank, much less in a steed. Sand blowing, sand storms, things happening. Not in the safety of their home no more. Never know what, what's gonna, what they're going to find on their journey. But they have a mindset that I've come to worship my king. They knew the prophecies of old. They said, we see the star. We know the prophecy. We're going to anoint. The kingmakers were going to say that we're going to anoint him king of kings and lord of lords. Do we in our personal lives make him king? Do we say, you are my king? They said, we have come to worship. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. I can just hear the song now. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live, I live. To worship you. Were the wise men singing that while on their, on their journey? To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live, I live. To worship you. Then they could hear, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. ho. Maybe the angels were singing with them. Who knows? That's why we live. That's why we breathe. That's why we were created, to worship him. We live. We have to install in our children, once again, in American culture, once again, the importance of coming to the house of God, to, to take the action in the time in our week to say, to worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you, King. You're the reason I live. You're the reason I breathe. You're the reason I move. The interesting fact was, Herod was known as the king of the Jews. Herod was over all the Jewish people. He knew the prophecy. He said, tell me again what the prophecy said. Herod wasn't an ignorant man. He knew what the prophecy said. He just wanted to hear it again and make sure he wasn't wrong. Jewish people have been waiting for all these years for the Messiah, and here he is. But yet they don't take the action to worship. They don't take the action to love him. They, out of jealousy, they just take the action to send forces to kill him. But yet the Gentiles, the Magi, 
traveled 800 miles. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Kobe's laughing at me. He's going to give me a hard time about singing. You can't sing. Don't sing. I'll make a joyful noise all day long. We have to make the culture of going to the house of God to seek his face priority in our lives. Worship takes action. Will you put feet to your worship? Next, worship sets you free and brings you joy. In verse 10, it says, They saw the star and were filled with joy. Then they bowed down and worshiped him. Psalm 1611 says it like this, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's at God's right hand? At the right hand of the Father, there are pleasures forevermore. When you seek Jesus, pleasures forevermore. Not just pleasures that last 10 minutes like the remote control car, but pleasures that are forevermore. In fact, the Greek said, it said, you will show me the path of life. That word show means yada. Assert, ascertain by seeing or seeking. When you seek him, then the word presence means panah, the face. The presence, the face of God. When you seek his face, there's fullness of joy. Joy in seeking him. It comes through seeking and looking and wanting. How bad do you want him this Christmas season? How bad do you want to seek the presence of God in your life? The presence is a real thing. Like I said, worship is a state of mind. It's, it's how, it's what we think about. They had to get their mind right in order to come worship. They had to know what they were looking for, and they had to find it. Worship's a state of mind. I remember growing up, my, my dad every once in a while would say, boy, you got a weak mind. Every once in a while he'd say that, boy, you got a weak mind. I'm like, no, I don't. He goes, yeah, you do. You, you get tired way too quick. We'd be shoveling dirt. I'm tired. He said, you got a weak mind. Just put your mind on zero. Quit thinking about you're tired and just do it. What did he tell me? Put your mind on zero. Don't, don't worry about what you've done or how sore you are. Put your mind on zero and just do it. Don't have a weak mind. You know what's wrong with millennials today and with the culture we live in today? We haven't been taught that we can do anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There are no boundaries in my life. If I choose to seek him, I can travel 800 miles even if I have to walk through the most hellacious circumstances in the world. I can get there to find my Jesus. We have to have a passion for his house. In fact, David in Psalm 69.9 said it like this. He said, the passion for your house has consumed me. Are we consumed with the things of God? Are we assumed with his house?
the only passion that should drive our car is the desire for more of him. My streetcar named Desire is Jesus. I'm just going to tell you, it's, it's what drives me. I had a busy week at Christmas Trail, all the things to get ready, all the hustle and bustles, trying to get kids Christmas presents, figured out what they want because they won't tell you nothing at that age. I don't know. That's okay. They're going to be surprised Christmas morning. <laughs> I don't know. Equals you don't get much. And, uh, and, and, and all the other little things of the season, so busy. And I was thinking, man, I just, I got to, I have to spend extra time this week and, 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 and normally family time on my message and just, just really hone in because I want you all to get what I'm talking about today. But my message starts with worship. Everything starts with worship. Their meeting the king started with worship. And then they, they, they finished their worship through giving. They concluded with their giving. I know what some of y'all were really thinking. You're thinking, well, was it really that much they gave, Pastor? See, I, th- I think, so. like I said, my money talks to me every once in a while. It, did they really give that much? Verse 11, it says they, they opened their treasure chest. Now, I've watched enough Pirates of the Caribbean. I know what a treasure chest looks like. I don't think it was a little box. I think they were big. I think they brought enough gold for a king. They concluded their worship with giving. Last point of the day. Giving is probably the purest form of worship that you can do. Then just think about it for a second. Think about it. Your heart has to be right to part with provision. Your heart has to be right to say, you know what? I'm going to give to God instead of instead of the other little toy I want or the other little thing I want. Just think about it. Giving is the purest form of worship that we can do. It's totally pure. Because your heart has to be in the right place to give your money. Matthew 6.21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do the wise men have a heart to do? I mean, they traveled 800 miles. They had a heart to seek him, a heart to give to him. Their heart was in the right place. Herod's wasn't. Theirs was. There's things that, that, that happen when you give. You unlock the prophetic in your life. You unlock dreams in your life when you give. Think about it. what what happens right after they give. It says while they were sleeping, God gave them a dream. Kind of gave them a glimpse of what the future looked like if they went back to Herod and they went home a different way. My goal for you today is to go home a different way. Not to go home the same way you came today. To go home different. It unlocked the prophetic in their life. It unlocked dreams in their life. It kept them safe. Because I can tell you, they went back to Herod. They might have not been safe because they had a choice to make. Give up the location of the king or probably to be killed. 
When you give, it unlocks things in your life. It unlocks destiny in their life. We look at the, the woman who poured out the alabaster jar on Jesus' feet. She broke it on his feet. This wasn't even my message notes today. But she, she broke it on his feet. Gave a year's worth of wages, they said it would have cost to buy that oil. And broke it on the feet of Jesus. Through her giving, it unlocked the prophetic. Just think about it. What happened next? Jesus said, you have prepared me for my death. I don't think he was going to say those words. She unlocked something in the king when she gave. She unlocked the prophetic, and he told her what was about to take place. If you want things to take place in your life, you want to unlock the prophetic in your life, it starts with worship. And I promise you, giving is the purest form of worship. They brought gifts this Christmas season. My family and I will prepare a gift, I promise you, Christmas morning. And we will bring it to our king. Because I cannot tell the rest of the world how important they are with my gifts and with my presence and not show up to worship him on his birthday. We do have church here Christmas morning. I am not going to cancel a church service on Christmas morning on Jesus' birthday. The reason for this season, I've done this for years. This ain't my first Christmas to celebrate in church. Even when I wasn't the main pastor of a church, we showed up on Christmas morning with little kids. Why? To worship him, I live. It makes a statement to my children. It makes a statement to my family that we're going to show up, we're going to worship, we're going to give, because you are our everything. And then we'll go home and we'll open gifts and we'll celebrate together and we'll go see my mom and dad and see all the cows and the deer and all the fun stuff and we'll have a, good, we'll have a great Christmas, but we're going to put him first. There's something about saying Jesus you are first in my life. I remember growing up, um, my dad used to do all the major constructions for the largest jewelry guy in the Golden Triangle. And uh, it was called Nacal's Jewelry. They still exist. And him and the owner were friends. And uh, the owner passed away at 102 or 103. He was, he was very old when he passed away. His, his sons run it now. He... Uh, He'd give my dad these big construction jobs and do rental property for him and other stuff. And he'd build, he'd, he'd add on and remodel places. He had big shopping centers that he rented out uh, spaces in and so forth and so on. And he'd tell my dad, now, Buster, I have a tenant that wants to move in in 60 days. I need this section built. He said, my rent's $10,000 a month on this section. And um, I know you told me it'd take 90 days to build. But every 30 days you're finished earlier, I'll give you the $10,000 because I want it done. He said, pick out anything in the store, same value, you can have it. I might even up the value if you finish quick enough. And so my mom always had a, a laundry list of jewelry she wanted. That girl's got two three-and-a-half-carat diamond rings from favor. And uh, one of them, the price tag was about $80,000, and my dad Gave the guy seven thousand dollars for it, and and but he's always you know loved God and given to God and 
always been taken care of. So he finishes this project 30 days early, and there's this rock my mom's wanted, you know. And she's happy because she just knows she's getting this for Christmas. One of her other friends that got a fur coat for her birthday right before Christmas, my dad said, you need a coat like that. My mom's like, I don't want, that fur coat is ugly that Sandra got. I do not want a fur coat like that. And uh, my dad's like, well, boy, are you mean. And so Christmas morning, I'll never forget, she opens up, you know, she could choose any jewelry in the store. She opens up her present, and she pulls this box out, she opens it up, and it's, I mean, it looks exactly like Sandra's. <laughs> exact same coat, and you can just see fire in this red-headed woman's eyes. She's like, I'm going to kill him. I told him what piece of jewelry I wanted and everything. I had my gift picked out. See, her joy, her joy was, was in, a, in a rock she'd already picked out. It, it wasn't in a coat. It was, it was in a rock. But what she didn't realize, she puts on the coat, and my dad's a practical joker, and he did it just to agitate her. He barred Sandra's coat and wrapped it up. <laughs> and uh, she's sitting there steaming, and she don't want to say nothing, but thank you, baby. And she got a tear in her eye, and it's not from happiness, you know. And he says, well, you know, it's a coat keep your hands warm. And she sticks her hand in the pocket. She feels something. In the pocket, she pulls out, and there's a three-carat ring. And then she really started to cry. But she, had to, she chose where her joy was going to come from that Christmas. We choose where our joy is going to come from. We, we pick where our joy is going to come from. We, we predetermine what our joy is in life. And we put our, our, our joy in things of the world like a simple rock that's found in the ground that can be lost in the toilet. Like Tracy's, she flushed hers. She flushed her joy. But you ever lost a diamond somewhere it shouldn't have gone? And we, we lose our joy because it's put in worldly things. It's put in the wrong things. But the wise men, when they got to the house, they were filled with joy. I'm sure it was joy unspeakable, full of glory, because there he is, the king the one they'd have been seeking for so long. Who do we seek this Christmas season? Where do we choose where our joy comes from. We choose what gifts we want. And God has given each and every one of us a gift, and we get to choose whether we'll receive it or not. And that gift's name is Jesus. Giving is the heart of God, and I want to show it to you real quick as we close today. In John 3, 16, it says, for this is how God loved the world. It's how he loved you. He gave his one and only son so that everyone believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10, 9 and 13 through 13 says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will have eternal life. You will have those things you're looking for. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. 
As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who does what? Who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We serve a good God. He said, you know what? I could give you gold because I own it all. I could give you provision because it's all mine. The cattle of a thousand hills belong to me. But God said, you know what? You're better than all of that. I have a better gift picked out for you. A gift that will give you eternal life. A gift that will save you. A gift that will set you free. But a gift that costs me everything. My one and only son. I'll watch him be tortured in the worst fashion, the worst way. I'll watch him be killed. He'll be born of a virgin birth. And he's a gift to the world. He's a gift to you. But you have to decide what you'll choose. Do you choose him? Or do you choose other things as your joy this Christmas season? Do you choose him to call on his name? It says in in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved.